I declare bankruptcy! Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression? Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Try you ignorant slut! Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. You're listening to Great Scott, the Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my deskmate, Jacob. Hey, how's it going, everybody? We're back. The boys are back in town. Uh, yeah, I do have to admit, uh, I was sick last time. Um, we should have put something out, and that's my bad, because um, I thought I would, and I didn't. But I was, like, I had a very, like, I missed three days of work kind of sickness so yeah so here we are and i'm gonna do my best today jay ray can, mm-hmm. Can, mm-hmm. I, i'm gonna tell you this and i hope you just accept it but uh i've got a big potential life-changing event happening right now so i've given this podcast as much thought as i can but it's not a lot of thought <laughs> And I'm sorry for the listeners, but I didn't want to go six, eight weeks without an episode. And I'm going to do my my damnedest to give you a good episode. But uh, I, like I said, I have a a very life changing interview happening, and I am uh, doing my best to prepare for that, and doing my best to have my family be okay with this potential inter- this potential life change. So there you have it. Uh, Jacob will be phoning it in this episode. Shows up late and then he doesn't even want to do the damn. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or I'm going to uh, talk way too much because I'm overcompensating. <laughs> One of the two. Either way, it should be exciting. Uh, we've got four episodes for you today. And these not, are four yeah. of my like, absolute favorites. I love these episodes. They are cringy as fuck. But I love them. So we're going to get right into it. Season 6, Episode 10, Murder. Interesting, not called Muck Duck. Muck, absolutely not. Okay, so this cold opens with Dwight, Dwight, giving a, uh, the year-end review, apparently, of karate. Which is, because as we know, the ancient arts are often updated annually. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can see like, I can see more of the fact that like, I can see him more in the corner of the office with the microphone going, so and so won this trophy, and so and so won this trophy with a slideshow presentation. <laughs> you know, I can see that update in the the world of karate. Like, who are the current masters? And right, right. But, I say, but I he's say. just like okay. talking about how you're going to defend yourself. Right. It, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm a Muay Thai guy. That's what I train with Like when I'm working out in my basement every day. Uh, but, yeah. So, he he's trying to get people to attack him. And no one can because, obviously, he's a master that we learn. And, like, three seasons from now, he gets his black belt finally. And... I don't know. If someone is a trained martial arts person, please tell us what it takes to get a black belt. Because what Dwight talks about in season nine seems crazy. 
like twelve years and three hundred thousand dollars or whatever it was. Yeah, not to trivialize it and not to brag, I do have a white belt in karate when I was seven. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like there's got to be, depending on maybe the place where you learn your martial arts, um, it may be easier or harder, you know? Like I wonder if there's just like, a, oh, you did it for another year and you successfully pulled off these moves kind of mentality to some of the more commercial dojos or uh, whatever they're called in their different uh, art styles of punching of faces. Right. Yeah. I just don't, I don't understand what, um, what Dwight is doing exactly. Like I understand he's very dedicated to this art form. Like we, I think we've already figured out that he's doing like 12 hours a day of, karate after angelo broke up with them yeah i mean so i mean if you're dedicating that much time to anything you're going to be really good at it right right so i mean i i know i don't have 12 hours to dedicate even to my fucking job much less karate or any other martial art like i dedicate 30 minutes a day in my basement with a punching bag to muay thai and that's about it and that is why you fail, sir. If you and um, that guy from Street Fighter, Sag- Sagat, is that how do you pronounce it? I don't know. The bald guy with the eye patch, whatever. Also Muay Thai expert. Right. Who would right. win in a fight, you or him? Oh, him. Totally. I see. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I'm going to give a shout out because he does give work, good workouts. But Sean Fagan, Muay Thai Guy dot com, like he's he's legit. He's legit. I, I, I won't go. even I won't even front. He's he's a legit legit guy. But yeah, but still, like he is. I mean, he's been doing this for. He's been doing. We assume twelve hours a day. Five days a week for two or three years now. I mean, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of time. Yeah, well, he hasn't been dating. Uh, I, he wakes up early because of his farm life, right? Um, and uh, you wonder if he counts some of the karate he does in the backseat of cars as he amps himself up listening to metal music. And he does some uh, chair punches and stuff. You know, he could be really liberal with logging his time. He could be, but still, <laughs> like, you know, Dwight isn't. Like, it's yeah. it's what Dwight Dwight. Ugh, sorry, still trying to talk. It's what Dwight does. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, what I love about this is eventually Jim is like, well, obviously we cannot live up to your abilities, so the only person who can attack you is you. Right. And I think the best part about this entire scene is Pam looking at Dwight very, like, confident in his ability to do karate, sipping her cup of coffee. Like, she is the worst person. She might be the worst person in all of this because she's, like, giving Dwight fake signals about his ability. (laughs) No, I don't think they're fake. I think they're legitimate. I think she's actually impressed that he can punch himself in the groin so hard 
I mean that that that's true. I mean that is true. I mean because he knows what it's going to do, but he doesn't hold back. And like I said, this is very this is very Fight Club. It's very uh, Edward Norton in his boss's office kind of thing. And if you're too young or too old, depending, does he have seen Fight Club? Well, watch Fight Club and you'll understand. There you go. Um, have you seen Fight Club? Oh yeah. It's a great movie. Watch it all the time. One time, um, I was with some friends, um, and we were hanging out in a basement, and we were not feeling ourselves or whatever. So we decided to watch Fight Club, and um, like the first time they do that, this uh, long shot of like a close up of a Starbucks logo, and you slowly kind of move your way out, and then zoom out, and you see that it was like a cup in a garbage can or whatever. Right. Everybody in the basement was like, "No, I can't do it. It's this is too much for my senses right now." Man, y'all are just y'all are just a bunch of wussies. No, I listen. I stayed. I I continued to watch it. They all migrated to a different part of the basement, and they decided to watch the OC instead. Very different. Well, th- this is another conversation for another time. But <laughs> what we're talking about right now is the Office, and this is murder. Dunder Mifflin is going bankrupt. I mean, yeah, there's a uh, there's a what? So that email was sent erroneously. Is that what had happened? That's the uh, first uh, signal of it. That's what Michael said, but it was not sent erroneously. It was just no. Actually, it was from Alan Brand. It said the articles in the journal are erroneous. But that was a company wide email, right? That yeah, that was a company wide email. And for those that don't know, don't care, can't afford, whatever, uh, the Wall Street Journal is the publication for financial news in the entire world. So when you reference, when when the journal says you're done, you're probably done. <laughs> I wish the journal would call while I'm cooking my Thanksgiving turkey. Boom, boom, cha. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so Michael doesn't even know that it's the Wall Street Journal. He's like, oh, the wall. Yeah. And, and so, you know, even even Oscar's like, well, there's a lot of different types of bankruptcy, bankruptcy, which is true. There's, I think, four different types of bankruptcy under federal bankruptcy laws. Yeah. So sure. one is like uh, big chapter seven, which is uh, you are... You declare bankruptcy, you allow the courts to restructure your assets, you allow your creditors to buy or sell your debt at a certain rate, etc., etc. There's chapter 11 where it's like, I'm out. You know, chapter 11 is, you know, we're all, we're walking away. I mean, that's chapter 11. So I would assume this is chapter 7, but they don't even address it as though it is chapter 7. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it could be uh, just a, a writer's thing. I mean, I'm sure most people don't really understand bankruptcy. It's not like they make it super easy for people to get, anyways. Right. No, for sure. But they also like they also come in with you know Oscar saying they they cannot pay their vendors anymore, which may or may not be a thing for certain bankruptcies. Well, it's not that they can't; it's that they should stop. Right, because maybe it's part of their restructuring, so that if they do restructure finances, 
they you know they don't want to lose those payments if they can somehow reduce them or whatever correct correct so yeah yeah, i mean this is a very uh business heavy episode but uh to an extent for sure because obviously this is the office so quickly you realize we start following all the people who are unrelated to business stuff and then all of a sudden michael plays one of the greatest songs of the 90s if i must you know declare my age i'm you know the those late i late 90s early 2000 music i mean that's that's my jam i have an entire spotify playlist dedicated to this i mean that's just that's who i am it's i'm i'll be 33 in less than two weeks so that's how old i am so you can do the math uh we don't have to do the math you just said you're going to be 33 (laughs) in less than two weeks but if people really want to figure out my birthday they can Uh, but he is playing sean mullins lullaby which is a great song but you know what it's not the first time we've seen michael go crazy with music in his office and Uh, he's listened to train yeah is it train uh no, it's not. It's James Blunt. It's James it's, Blunt, yeah. It's like, what terrible, terrible music exists <laughs> out there. It's like Train, James Blunt, got it. So, so you, well, you just said it. Is Sean Mullins terrible music to you? Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, this song is a special song. That being said, if you were to pay me $1 billion to name a second Sean Mullins song, that would be a $1 billion reward I would never get. Because he basically has written no other songs. Well, I I can actually shit. I can, I know yeah. the s- song name in my head, but I can actually name two Shyamalan songs. But I can't exactly right now. Well, that reflects poorly on you, sir. I know. No one should know two Shyamalan songs. Like, what are two Semi Sonic songs? Uh, Closing time and um, Secret Smile. That's see, that's a mistake also. If if you ever want to know what the second song was of a one hit wonder from the nineties, I guess ask Jacob because apparently he knows. It's, Name oh. another song by Eagle Eye Cherry. <laughs> no, I can't do that. The other song <laughs> by Sean Mullins is Shimmer. Shimmer. And the reason I know that because it's the same song as Fuel. Their their original hit was Shimmer. <laughs> Fuel. <laughs> Oh my goodness! This is just like a VH1 lineup heaven, dude. Like, you know, Fuel was for for me. That was like the first time I ever turned alter like turned on alternative rock radio and heard a song. I was like, I really like that. It was Shimmer by Fuel. Okay. It's stupid. <sighs> it's silly, but you know, I was fifteen. Okay. And right, well, for those we'll people who are listening who are like 22 right now, when you're 33, you're going to look back at, you know, God, I don't even know who, like Avril Lavigne, like when you're like, oh my God, Avra, she's my jam. And you're going to be going, what the you're fuck so was old. I thinking? Nope. Nobody is talking about Avril Lavigne. That could have been the worst example you pulled. <laughs> oh, you didn't help me out, <laughs> motherfucker. Oh my god. Alright, it's fine. Uh, okay, so uh, let's see what happens here. So they read the journal, they read this whole thing. Oscar gets the notice to uh, 
stop payments toward vendors. Oh no, that this, this, that was later. So uh, Michael, he goes into his. Um, well, so they're having. Jim says, "Let's get on with the day." What's scheduled? It's a, you know, office-wide meeting, right? Monthly, monthly conference room meeting. Right, and and you know he's trying his best just to you know go on day after day, which, you know, all in all, that's really all you can do in this situation where he's just like, "Look, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have answers. Let's just say." We're going forward. You know, I mean, it is a it's it's a rough time for Jim. And Michael goes into his treasure trove of games, which is on the other wall from when we saw it in season two. And the uh, silver sterling set is also not in this. uh, um, I mean, it's it's probably a disservice to Amwaz to call it Amwaz, but it's this chess thing that he has in his office. I don't know. It's what do you like want to call it? It's just like a cabinet, no? It's a cabinet, but it also has drawers and, you know, um, shelves and that kind of stuff. So, right. it, I mean, it's it's like an Ikea armoire. That's what it is. It's like an Ikea thing. So, it's super cheap, but it Maybe not as cheap as other things, but still, he goes in and finds the murder in Savannah. Yes. Um, he runs back in, and I mean, so this, I don't I don't believe, I didn't look, that this game is based on a real game. But uh, it definitely has features of real games that I've seen before. Oh, for sure, yeah. But all, it includes things played- I don't think, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, you're a gamer. We yes. play, you know, listener note, me and Jerry, we play Dungeons & Dragons together, but we also play tabletop games, other things. Um, Murder of Crows, if you haven't played, it's a great game. Um, mm. So, it's it's a game that if you a, ever explore past Monopoly, you might have run into. That's kind of what it is. What kind of Monopoly? If if you ever gone past Monopoly. Oh, past Monopoly, right? If yeah, you yeah. dived a little bit deeper. Yeah, I into mean, it's like repertoire of games. Right. I mean, you have your Catan clones. But so Michael pulls this out and he comes into the conference room going, "There's been a murder in Savannah." And I cannot wait till people kill me for my accents because I do terrible impressions, but I'm going to do it for the rest of this episode. There it so, is. there's been a murder in Savannah, and he is uh, trying to just get everyone off of work. Well, let me say, so, as you said, we've played our fair share of board games, and I don't know a board game that would come with props like this game does, though. Oh, no, I definitely play games. With it. Where it comes with like butler gloves and a, yeah. a fan mm-hmm. and a shrunken head. Yeah, they're supposed to be played through the course of the evening. And so, mm-hmm. like, they're, they're supposed to, they're, they're like RPGs, but you're supposed to do things and then you click the next track and it plays another, you know, bit. No, I've, de- I've definitely played games like this before. Okay, okay, all right. Um, 
yeah, but so they go. He randomly distributes character cards to everybody. Obviously, there's a CD that accompanies the whole thing that narrates the scenario right. for them. And uh, his his thought for why he is owed this, because Michael's always owed everything in his life, is Tube City, where he wanted to run a very large tube network for hamsters around the office. Yeah, I like how there was no, like, there's no end game there. The end game was allowing a tube city to exist within the office. It's not like they were going to carry mail from desk to desk or anything. It wasn't going to help, like, stop ants from crawling into the building. Like, the whole point was just to have hamsters around the office. I mean, I won't lie. I got guinea pigs, so I, I love my little rodents. And if I, I mean, if I was an employee who could maybe have a guinea pig dropping down on my desk every once in a while, I'd be totally for it. 100%. I have a lot of, I imagine you too, a lot of technology on my desk. I don't even know if I want like raining guinea, guinea pig shit landing on my camera equipment and well, such. Well, I mean, that... I mean, that's the side point of it all, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if I, if I could, if I could take one of my, because we have three guinea pigs, and one of them is a rally piggy, if you follow Oklahoma State sports, but if I could take one of those pigs to work every day, I would, because I would just like to have something I could just like, you know, scratch, like, who's, who's a good little girl, you know? I see. Uh, I can't say I know about that personally, but, but I get it. Well, you you've got a, you've got a puppy. Yeah, we got a dog and three cats. If you could take one of those to work, who could just like sit yeah. on your desk, or you could just like scratch their ears every once in a while when you're stressed, you'd probably be a really happy camper. No, the only good thing about work is that I get some time away from these furry sons of bitches. You get the dog biting me all the time. You get I have to scoop cat shit every other day there's fur everywhere i got <laughs> look at this i don't know if you can see this on the camera it's small but this little bruise that's from being bitten these scars here are from my cat when i just tried to move this year everywhere bro it's like it's like pet shop jaws up in this apartment <laughs> i need my space all right so <laughs> we get in this game and we find out there are a lot of different personas there is Nellie Nutmeg, the very slutty woman mm-hmm. who uh, Aaron obviously gets because, you know, it's Michael giving out. And that's one thing, um, actually, I didn't even think about until I started saying it, but it's something that we should have expected out of Michael. The people who got the characters because Michael was passing them out. Dwight got the bottler. Uh, I, I don't think it was on purpose. I do. Well, because... Really, Voodoo Mama Juju for Angela? Who else is he yeah. going to give that to? I mean, anybody. You could have given it to Kelly. could have given it to Stanley. Those are all equally funny, you know, slightly well, racist no, it, choices it, it, and such. Mike, Michael's a sexist. We've already established this. So it's all it's going to go to a woman. So it's going to be Kelly, Aaron, Angela, Meredith. 
Yeah, but any of those women, maybe save for Phyllis and Meredith, could have been Nellie Nutmeg then. Right. Because Michael's made similar comments about those women. Right. That that's and, the route you want to go. Right. And so he is already, like, he's establishing these characters. Well, I'm, I'm just arguing against the fact that he picked it for them. I would look at Diversity Day as an example that there are unfortunate coincidences, like Stanley ended up being black. He did not pick that card, you know? Yeah, but Michael actually handed these out. It's not that yeah, it was... Yeah, face down. I hand cards out all the time. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. And if you disagree with me or J-Ray, please email us. Brokenjoybroadcasting at gmail.com. And uh, I will just say, I think, specifically, Aaron as the example, it could be said that maybe she'd be the butler because Michael for most of what we've seen thus far, doesn't like Aaron. This is true. This is true. Yeah. But if anyone's going to get a butler, it's Dwight. After the whole Michael Scorn, he was the butler in Michael Scorn. You know, threat level midnight. Assistant butler. Yes. Anyway, so yes, everybody gets their cards. It's all hilarious. Everybody doesn't really like what they've picked. Um, we get Voodoo Mama Juju, who is uh, Angela. Obviously, she, she's she scared of it. Yeah. Uh, Michael is Caleb Crawdad, who is the, the self-proclaimed sexy playboy, the philanderer of the yeah. entire game. Um, Andy that- ends up being Nathaniel Nutmeg. I think he's a little stoked for half a second, thinking maybe he's the husband, but we find out he's actually the brother. So advances right. on his end would be awkward. Well, and this is like the full-on Andy for Aaron, you know, arc plot. Right. Oh, yeah, this is when, like, moves start to be made. Well, he's and, all, it's the first time on camera where he's like, I like Aaron. Right. Right. Um, so... Yeah, Michael has some fun with his accent. I mean, it's basically Foghorn Leghorn, right? <laughs> Actually, no, his, um, what the hell is it? Fat Mike, what's that guy's name? Uh, yeah, but it's it's mostly Foghorn. You're, you're actually right there. Like, that is a very yeah. apt, you know, persona for Michael here is Foghorn Leghorn. Oh, yeah, Michael Klump, that's it. Mike uh, Yeah, well, because Michael Klump goes... I say, I say, I sit on you. And Foghorn does a lot of the repeat sentence thing. But without well, that speech impediment, I think Caleb Crawdad is a better spoken Foghorn Leghorn. Well, he just much, does, I do declare. How much uh, Looney Tunes have you watched, my friend? I've watched a good amount of Looney Tunes. Are you about to accuse my Looney Tunes knowledge? I mean, again, uh, we have. Basically, a little bit, but it's it's very much more old. We've talked about it, so it's very possible you were around when the original Tex Avery's were airing on television. This is true. It's true. (laughs) It's not true, but it could be true. Uh, Okay, what did I get wrong then, buddy? Well, I'm just saying, uh, it's very much more, uh, you know. Foghorn Leghorn than it is anything else. 
Right, right, right. So yeah. I don't think it's even you know you know the you know the clumps. I think it's more Foghorn Leghorn the way he's channeling. Right, right, right. Um, Andy shows off some of his uh, accent skills by talking like who's got more left. I can't do it. That's that you could do the embarrassing accents. I will refrain. Well, the thing is, uh, I don't mind with embarrassing accents because I'm from the south, so I can embarrass myself. So he's all talking about how you got to have molasses coming out of the mouth to be a southerner. Yeah, so <laughs> that's close. Um, but then we uh, we find out Pam's name is Deborah Utant, or Deb Utant for short. Very funny. Um, yeah, so basically what it, is going on is they all... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a game. It's a silly game, but it for Michael in it ending up, ending up for Jim. It also pushes just the the idea that we just we need to move past this segment of our lives because I mean, granted, the show keeps going on and things happen, but if you've never been in a in a layoff culture where things happen, I mean, this could be the worst day of your entire life. Right. And that's what, I mean, most of those people, especially, especially in the office, most of those people have been there for six, seven, eight, ten years, right? You know, Creed's right. been there for ten years, Meredith's been there for ten years, counting pretty much ten years, you know? So he's trying to, like, soften this blow. Right. Um, and it works for a bit. People seem to be distracted. Pam tries to play along. Mm -hmm. Um, Phyllis is into it. Michael obviously is loving it. So, um, but okay. So I have to bring this up because we always have to bring up how unintentionally the race office. Sorry. Let me, let me start. How unintentionally racist the office is. And this comes true with Oscar. Like, he tries to do this, like, really weird French South Louisiana accent that is just terrible. You think it's racist? I think it's just Oscar being a no... He's not a guy who does fun stuff, you know? I mean, aside from the the ice skating or what have you, he seems to be pretty... I don't know. I mean... I mean, that, that's where my family comes from, is the swamps of South Louisiana, so I find it a bit racist. Maybe I'm not allowed because I'm white. I'm a white person, but... I, I think that might actually be the case, but <laughs> that is, it's still a, an opinion to express. Right, but it's <laughs> it, it's just this not knowing of the culture, I guess, but it's just, I hate it. I, I really dislike it. That he so does... Does his... Okay, this is about to get serious, Jacob. Okay. Does Oscar's forced participation and accidental expression of ignorance, uh, does he not get any slack for the blatant, no. ignorant, and racial comments? No, no, he gets, lost, way he gets a lot of slack because Michael is forcing him to be there. And, <laughs> okay. you know, yeah, I, I'm not trying to say that the writers or Oscar are racist 
in terms of the show, Michael forced the racism out of Oscar. But the way he is written, he he always act acts like he's holier than thou. So that's this is kind of when I start to lose respect for Oscar as a as a character because he's starting to do these things that he preaches against. Is it racism or classism then? Because he's kind of because I think your argument here is that it's coming maybe more from like a economic or uh, education based stance. I mean, okay, you're right. Racism, racism is not the word. It's it's not even classism because it's I don't know geographyist because (laughs) it's the Southerners thought of. The South, you know, that's, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say it, but there's got to be a term for it where those goddamn Yankees, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the, the, the feeling we have towards this kind of thing. And by we, I mean people from the South who I am. I see. I see. That's got real, man. It did. Let's, Let's get back to the office. Okay, so um, let's see. I'm, I'm following your notes here. Blah, blah, blah. There's June bugs. You hate June bugs, apparently. Oh, have you ever dealt with June bugs? Uh, well, I guess of this podcast duo, I am the Yankee, so that is a negative. I watched a movie with Amy Adams called June Bug. No, no, like, um, so on, you know, during Indian summers. You know, very warm summers. Um, that sounds racist. <laughs> I don't know a different word for it. I really don't. But during warmer summers, where the summer is sort of lasts on into October, June bugs become a deal. Like, I have seen June bugs four feet piled up against doors before. Right. I hate June bugs. Because okay. they're just annoying fuckers. God, we're not even through the first episode yet. No, no. This is a two-episode episode for sure. <laughs> um, so, um, let's see. Okay, so Creed uh, arrives as the game is kind of in the middle of its thing. He's a little late, but he parks. Right. Walks in all casual. He's like, hey, hey, Michael so- says in his terrible Southern accent, Sir, you have been... I'm going to try this again. Sir, you have been accused of a murder. And he's like, yes. okay, boss, let me get settled in. And he just leaves. <laughs> yeah, bolts. Um, I was looking forward to him being covered in blood, but that is a different season episode. Eight. That's season eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. much later. Um, so he bolts. We never see him again for the rest of the episode. Um so this is where there's an issue between Andy and Aaron. Um, Andy asks out Aaron in that small kitchen area, but he does it in the accent of Nathaniel Nutmeg. Right. So I um, I don't think that Aaron's at fault here. And actually, you know, no, I take that back. They're both at fault. They both. <laughs> They were they were both guessing instead of going to the other person saying, 
Hey, I wasn't sure X, Y, and Z, so what's happening? You know, so at this point, they're both at fault for not going out on a date together. Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll skip ahead in this particular storyline and say that it comes out that both thought it was a real date until something happened where they thought maybe their characters asked each other out. Right, but... And they both get scared, and they both back out of the date, and Aaron gets a little upset, and um, Andy's a little confused. As Jacob said, probably should have just been adults and asked each other properly. Right. I mean, this is one of those, answers. you know, just stupid relationship situations. And listeners, I'm going to say this to you, Kevin. Um, if you ever find yourself in this place again, just ask the person what's going on and you'll be much happier as you go along that's just just straight truth just put on an accent and say oh (laughs) i got nothing that's my time oh that's all that's all oh no i think he's got a lot the the molasses fall out of your mouth (laughs) all right okay so you have here why, why is harry potter on this list uh, <laughs> uh oh yeah so angela talks about being uh possessed by harry potter ah uh, oh yes, yes and yes, yes. as as a good christian child um i've had to deal with this with my family because uh, i mean i don't really like harry potter i think it's kind of stupid internet come at me fist up whatever but my wife loves it. She loves Harry Potter. She has seen Fantastic Beasts like five times. Uh, the worst Harry Potter. Wow, she is a fan. Actually, I think it's probably the second or third best, in my opinion, as a non-fan. You don't, you don't get an opinion as a non-fan, sir. Fine, but still, <laughs> like, right. like I under get, I understand the whole parents hating Harry Potter thing because I asked my parents to buy my wife a Harry Potter thing and my mom was like I can't. I won't. Because of the whole witchcraft thing. I'm like, mom, please watch this. But it, it, I mean, this, it does help, especially if you're a part of at least connected to that culture you understand Angela better with that throwaway line. Right. I was exposed to Harry Potter. Like, who she is is built out of that line. I mean, that that really changes who she is and how she thinks as a character. Yes. Um, so what's Jim been doing this whole time? He's been in his office. He's been trying to get some updates. He's been doing his job. Um, and uh, next time we see him... Pam is in there, and they're just kind of chatting about the, the real-world possibilities that Dunder Mifflin may go out of business and they may be losing their jobs, right? Right. I mean, if... I mean, that's a... That's a I wish they would have done more of that, because that's just a very real-world conversation. The... I mean, I have worked at the same place as my girlfriend, my wife, that kind of stuff. Or even the fact that where my wife was working couldn't support both of us. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I really wish they had focused more on this in this episode. 
because that that is the hardest part of it all the the entire you know what we might lose our house and that i mean that's that's the crux of that argument they just never get to it yeah i mean it's a conversation that they kind of have a couple times right pam leaves from michael scott paper company and she has some existential issues with like her choice and yeah, the but financial they, but they never get to that issue when they're together until athlete but even then it's it's more of a directional locational issue than the money issue like they really could have done something really cool where they expound on the existential crisis of maybe losing your job and they just don't yeah, I mean, specifically for these two characters, maybe they don't do it a lot, but I mean, but we, I mean the first episode we're introduced to the concept that this company's not doing great, you know? So, I mean, like, each person has their own little way, and I think it kind of seeps into the series overall. Yeah, but... Um, of this doom and gloom kind of still, they... They both hook their wagons to a bad horse, so to speak. Being a southerner and all. And, you know, it would have been really cool if they had had this cutaway to them in their house talking about what if we lose our jobs? Really, what happens? That would have been a really cool, real, could have still been really funny, but it could have been a really cool thing. No. (laughs) A A big argument that a lot of people have with The Office, especially after season four or something a lot of people criticize the show for leaving the office too frequently because and it's going to happen you're with a show for 10 damn years nine years right if you want to be specific but um you know obviously we have to see what's going on with people's personal lives but with that you kind of lose some of this the magic that's there of like the forced interactions of what the show is kind of built on you know the fact that Oscar and Kevin have to be a desk apart from each other and they couldn't be more different people, but how they're like very good friends. But I'm so actually the, talking about more of the just day in, day out of being a human. Sure. It, but it, I mean, I, there's a lot of shows that do that, I guess. I guess I didn't need it out of the office. But you raise a good point, and uh, Jim and Pam obviously would be the vehicle for that. I mean, right, again, it, Michael kind of has that conversation with Jan when he's going. Um, but it, it literally could have been a very heartfelt but funny moment that lasts like four minutes and could change the entire direction of the show. Boom. There it is. <laughs> could have happened. Maybe um, <laughs> Office 2. Electric Boogaloo. We'll get some of those. Uh, right. I mean, we we are way long in the tooth on this episode. Yes. Uh, so. Uh, well, so there's so right after that scene, there's an altercation between Michael and um, Jim, where um, you know they decide. Listen, the game needs to happen. People need to work. We need to separate these two things. It's totally fine. No one's doing the wrong thing. Um, well, ultimately, and- there's yeah. What I like about this is when Jim, so there's this big thing, but Jim realizes that he's got to let people go. The people who want to 
go into this game, who need this game, um, he realizes that's a thing for them. So he, he kind of pulls back and goes, hey, there's been another murder. And, but when anyone asks, do I do part of this? He's like, no. And they just go back to the work, you know? Right. And I like that. I, I thought it was a good management moment for Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he has always kind of had a grasp of the people in the office and, the joke had previously been when he had opportunities of leadership, he would kind of flounder. So survivor man, he, you know, he goofs up with the birthdays or, um, you know, uh, other instances where he just kind of like, just kind of messes up a bit, you know, but this is a situation where there's a reason why he earned his co-manager position, you know? Right. And yeah, in, so. in the end, he, I mean, it's a very short, short-lived thing but i think in the end he understands michael better and as an audience i think we understand michael better why he does what he does Mm. so if there was a super serious manager who then all of a sudden came out and saying there's been a murder and i'm always gonna say there's been a murder i'm always gonna say it that way um they might not believed it but with Michael, they play along. And I think that's the big part of this entire episode. And especially with Pam, who she just goes all in. And we see at the end where she's in this really weird Mexican standoff with finger guns. Still wearing the lace gloves from, <laughs> from the game going, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And Jim comes in. He's, he's already had a talking head where it's like 6 p.m. And she's like, just stop the car. Just stop the car. <laughs> you know? It's a really it's a really nice scene. I, I really like it outside of just the terribleness of Michael Scott. And uh, our, our remaining sh- uh, potential shooters all kill themselves in this scene. So we right. Got- one was a double agent. One was a triple agent. One was like a quadruple agent. <laughs> Um, so what would you give this episode, sir? Well, if it's not obvious, I really like this episode. Um, I think it's fun. It's whim- whimsical. It's it, it 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 creates Michael who he is. Like he's been a terrible manager for ten years for this extinct, like perfect moment where he's not a bad person. I, I really like this episode, so I'm going to give it a four out of five bourbons. It is a fine episode. I don't hate it. I'm going to give it three out of five muck ducks. <laughs> that's what I'm sticking with. Um, yeah. So, um, jumping into our next episode, shareholder meeting. Man, I got a lot to talk about this episode. But most that comes, gonna, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this ends up being a perfect storm. We're just going to jump into the meat of it. I mean, there there are some things leading up to the uh, ep- the uh, 
limousine, everything else, whatever. We we can talk about all that, all we want, but let's just get into it. So Michael, he is the best manager in the company. He, I mean, that's just, and this is a good, this is a good job on the showrunners for establishing that somehow, some way, Michael is better than everyone else. Somehow. Somehow. Right. But we also, at this point, we know that Karen Filippelli has been a manager for three years and her branch is not doing nearly as well as Michael's, even though it's so ineptly, you know, ineptly managed. Mm. Well, I think it's worth noting here. We like to point out retcons and odd things. And I think this is not not specifically a retcon, but there is a change in obviously Michael's performance that is viewed at higher levels in his company that doesn't necessarily stay within the original context of which we learned of his management abilities, right? Because when we meet Jan, he is it what, depends number four on, or five or something. Yeah, like like we said, this is a uh, the the season five retcon. There is season four five up to season five and down to season five because yeah. you know in season in season five he has the michael scott paper company where wallace calls him in going look you're the best we have and all of this well i mean because if you look at it like uh jan doesn't think favorably of him both as a person and obviously his sales aren't great in season three, it was his branch that was chosen to close over Stanford's. It was pure luck that he was allowed to stay open. Correct. Um, by season, like yeah, season five, he's being brought into David Wallace's office to say, you know, you are one of our best managers. What are you doing right? Same season, he ends up quitting the company or whatever to start his own. That right, causes right. Dunder Mifflin to have real fear over his abilities to participate in the business, right? Right, but um, I would say in season five that Michael has the resources and the reach to hurt people. So, I mean... <laughs> you make him sound like he's in the mob. <laughs> no, but think about it. So, in season one... I mean, in season one, he's a joker. I mean, he is just... I mean, he is the character that the BBC office had him be. In season two, he's a good salesman in this region. Season three, he's thrust into leadership. Season four, with Jin, he's doing his thing. Season five... He's had two years, and we've already established that he's a great salesman. He's a, like, you to me, person to person, going into an office, sitting down, going, look, we can do better than Staples. Fuck Staples. I mean, that, that, I mean that's essentially what he does. And, you know... We've gotten to this point to where Michael, we've seen so many times where Michael is actually a good salesperson. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll keep moving on. We're, we're, we're getting to a point where I don't think, 
I just think it's not super clear how he became so good because even if you look at his sales team, a lot of times they're struggling. I mean, Andy's garbage, right? Pam, when she becomes a salesman, also garbage. You got two deadweight people. Well, if you if you if you trend the sales, they are. I mean, they're below average, but they hold up with everyone else because Dwight is always the best. I mean, and Dwight always trends above Jim. Um, Even when Jim, Jim tries, he cannot meet Dwight. Well, see, but that's where it gets also weird, too, because then uh, in another episode that we've got this. Uh, actually, is it this episode? Um, hold on, stand by. No, not this one. Anyways, yeah, some of the episodes uh, in this season where Jim uh, has to do the employee of the month, right? And he does this anonymous rankings based on performance, and he is the one who would have won because of his performance. So no, that, that could no, be. No, that that ent- we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. That that's a whole other conversation. Well, I'm just saying that I I just doesn't seem like his team is pulling the picking up slack that he would have as a manager. Doesn't matter. It's okay. We're moving on. Okay. We're doing great. <laughs> Okay, so man, our um, listeners are gonna hate this shit. <laughs> no, it's gonna—it's the worst episode ever. Okay, so Mike wants to test out some moves as he creates the crowd at the uh, shareholder meeting. Uh, oh, well, they involve right, yeah. Oh. So he's doing like finger guns and spinning, and you know what? I'm gonna give some advice right here. Just, just stand up and wave. I mean, I have been the guy who was, like, a good person for the company. And the best thing you can ever do is just, like, hi. Just don't be a hero. Don't be a hero at all. Ever. Ever. Yeah, and don't don't consider spin moves as being a hero either. That's a, that's a misstep. But um, so everybody says, don't do the twirl. He says he won't do the twirl. Talking head, he reveals it's not a twirl. It's actually a spin. It's actually it might a spin. spin. Well, I think this is a big, um, I mean, if, if you're tracking what I would say would be char- big character moves for Michael, this is probably the last part of it where he doesn't care about the, uh, the visuals. He just cares about people liking him. And this rolls straight in Scott's hats. Like, I really feel like this is the ultimate peak terrible Michael he's already gone through being with the woman and the married woman and everything else so like this feels like where Michael really starts to understand his impact on people uh he hasn't been with the married woman yet has he Uh, oh yeah he did yeah he did did. yeah that was I blacked out um I'm sorry. We'll yeah, talk that's so probably much. true. I'm I mean, sorry, I, fucker. <laughs> this is again best show ever. Make sure you nominate us for all podcast awards that are available. This is the episode of the year. Uh, so uh, they find out that he's getting. Well, Michael says he's getting a town car, but Aaron finds out it's actually a limo. Everybody runs to the window, and it is in fact right, a limousine. Which- you know, to be fair, in general, Michael actually overstates this. This is actually one of the few times where he understates things. 
he thinks it's just a town car where he's just going by himself to New York to do a thing. And then he realizes that it's a limo and he can take up to eight people. Because he had this, par- this, this moment in the parking lot where he's like, you're there, you're there, he is very, is very Oprah. You know, you and you and you and you and you. Like, he, like if he could have, the entire office would have gone with him to New York. In the limo. Right. Um, so, yeah, who ends up going? We got Andy who goes, we get Dwight who goes, we get Oscar who goes. Yeah, that's about it, I think. Because, I mean, if I'm honest, I don't think I want to go. Not with Michael Scott. If it's Jim who's like, hey, you're coming with me to New York for a shareholder meeting, I'm like, fuck yeah, but Michael Scott? No. Pass. Hard pass. Um, So they're kind of living the high life as they head to uh, the city and... um, I mean... I don't know. You you know the geography better than me, but what's that like? A three hour ride, two hour ride? I mean that's that that's not a small haul. No, I mean it, from it, Scranton it's not like to an northern, hour. No, yeah. I mean from Scranton to northern New Jersey where I live is about two, two and a half hours already. I'm I'm only fifteen miles away from New York City, which in most places in the Midwest would be a fifteen minute drive. Into the city is probably closer to a 40-minute drive, so that's really three hours in. Uh, it seemed like they were being dropped off at a hotel, so they don't have to worry about parking. That's good. So, yeah, yeah it's but- a roughly three-hour trip. And then it's both ways, too, so it's six hours that whole day, which is basically a work day they just spent driving around. Right, and that's got to be, what, like a grand they just dropped on that uh, limo driver? Yeah, it's it's a, that's, you know, it gets talked about in the episode later, but... It's definitely not the most efficient use of funds for a company that is not doing so great. Okay, so, I mean, we, we've already gone off topic, but uh, I want to talk about Oscar here. Oscar is so sure of his beliefs until he actually has to say, you're dumb for what you have done. What do you think about that? I think that... Oscar doesn't specifically have a responsibility to fix the company in the way that Michael has put him there. Yeah, but I think he, it would have been. Bitching. He's been bitching for a while about the company leadership. Like he says before he gets in the limo, DMI stands for dumb, moronic, and something. That's what you have to be to own this stock. Of which he is one, he said. You're right. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, I mean, I think it's different. We all know it's different. The internet has been a great place for people who don't want to talk shit this about people like, to their face. This was like 2008, so, 2009. No, I mean, it's different in terms of anybody being forced to say anything to someone's face at all, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot, and not for nothing, but he's still employed by these people. You know, he's not afraid of what Michael would do in terms of repercussions because Michael has been shown time and time again that he, you know, we've only ever seen him fire two people. One was Devin. That's true. I'll I'll give you that where you have to worry about getting fired. Yeah, yeah. Because I I mean, that's a real thing. 
I worry about it. I won't lie. I worry about it every day. Because my employer um, knows my Twitter handle, and that's why I never say anything bad about them. Go shipping. Go. I, I talk mad smack all the time. My Twitter handle is just my name. OG Twitter. 2006. Represent. Hashtag oh, OG. I'm, I'm, I'm 2008, and you can follow me at Jacob Ingalls. I-N-G-A-L-L-S. It's a very rare name, actually, in the, in the States, but... Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to say. I think uh, he was in not in the right, but he, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to bust his chops for uh, not being super. I'm going to like I I will be because you know what I've been that guy. I've been that guy who had I was I had really really strong opinions, and then when I had the chance to voice them to my president, I just shut up. And you know what? He's... I don't know. We we can't say pussy anymore. So, I don't know. Whatever that is... We can't whatever, say it, so let's say it real quick. Whatever that is now in today's world, that's what I was then, and I don't think Oscar shouldn't have been in now. Okay. So, that's jumping ahead. Eventually, Oscar gets called up during like the halftime break of the shareholder conference. But um, what leads to that conversation is that basically during the chat, Michael gets introduced. He gets a very lackluster reception. Um, You know, the questions have been tough. The people in the room are angry. It's not at all what he had anticipated. Um, So just prior to them leaving, for whatever reason, he comes back to the mic and says that they will come up with a 45-day, 45-point plan bring Dunder Mifflin back to its former glory gets the crowd riled up they love it but obviously the folks who are sharing the table with him know that this is an incorrect statement and that he has dug them in a deeper hole than they were right and you know what you've you've got to do it better than this because I've been in some businesses and I understand people underneath you and above you and everything else. And so the idea that you don't tell Michael exactly what to say is stupid. Like you've got, you've just got to deliver to him exactly what to say because he'll say it. You know, he'll say it. You've got it. You've especially, I mean, how, Alright, this is going to be hit on in a bit, but how has Michael never met the CEO? He's the best performing, you know, person for years. Like two years, he's been the best performing branch manager. He should have met the CEO already. Um, But like under what context? Because this seems to be maybe like... Uh, the first time he has met the CEO in the context of like one-on-one personal interaction. No, what, what you got? No, this is what you got to do. You go, you bring him in and go, you, you have a retreat and you have to meet the CEO one-on-one for like 45 minutes to an hour. That's it. Have him get drinks. That's it. That's all you got to do. It, he, Jerry's making faces, but trust me, this is how business is done for the most part. 
Yes, that is my face for the that that suggestion. Um, well, I guess my point is I I took his statement as like the CEO wants to meet Michael specifically as opposed to Michael's met the CEO at some type of function right, where but you know still I I really felt as though the and I think this is what they were going for was the CEO was so out of touch. This is the first time he was meeting meeting Michael. Sure. Um, yep, that could be. Um, but even so, I don't know. I mean, again, you you can and I'm sure you will talk about working at a larger company because I work in the same building as my CEO, so it's a little different. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Couldn't tell you, man. We always talk about how, uh, you know, what the size of Dunder Mifflin is anyways. It's not super clear. We're pretty aware that it's a Northeast company. But, right, um, but they're also trading on the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, I, that that's the hard part I have with this this entire show is they're trading on the NYSE, but they don't act as though they're big enough to be trading on the NYSE. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know, bro. I, this is such a weird... I mean, there. I think there have been like a thousand times where Dunder Mifflin's corporate choices have been odd, but possibly for plot devices. So I think the context of this episode is just more of the same. I think you're maybe... <clears throat> I think five years in, maybe you're asking a bit much for the show to start being much more realistic than it had been for the past five years. I mean, this is all just leading up to other plot points, you know, Saber and all that jazz. Right, and without this... And we don't see the CEO again after this, to be fair. I mean, they literally just hired some dude. They're like, here, we need you for this episode because we just realized that a meeting like this should involve the CEO. Our bad. that's probably the fucking janitor or something. (laughs) But, I mean, the buyout... Buyouts in terms of public and private companies are different, and ugh, I don't. I like I just this this is where because like I've told our audience before, I have a master's in business. This is, I've done six years of education. In this this is just where I just kind of freak the fuck out. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's reasonable. Um, thank goodness you didn't work for Dunder Mifflin during this trying time. Who knows how you would have handled it? Well, the thing is, if I was then, if I was there then during those years, I would have been like the most gung ho person ever. Because I graduated right before the crash. I see. So like. We were all like, yeah, business, woo, finance, woo, crash. I just would like a job, please. <laughs> it's just how my life went. Um, so they end so, up running out. I mean, Oscar yeah. flails. He doesn't do what he should do. Well, hold on. So, okay, so Michael doesn't, uh, Oscar can't really do it. The CEO is kind of upset that Michael no, kind of put them the, in this situation. Um, it was the uh, the senator that got. I mean, everybody's really, not happy with. He's him, not right? happy, but the senator was the one who got really super pissy. 
Um, so they say that he's going to revoke the limo ride, but Michael bounces and grabs his crew and they, they hop in and they have a triumphant ride home celebrating the success of their branch despite passing signs that say Dunder Mifflin is like, it's going down. Just like that song that says it's going down, hooray, or something. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's something music. that um, if you really want to talk about, like, boards of companies because you know what if you really want to dig into it Dunder Mifflin gets in like Dunder Mifflin the office gets into some really big topics that they never address they 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 throw you know powder at them but they never really address so um right right um it's really quick worth mentioning, I suppose. There's a beeline to this whole thing where uh, Ryan is being super antagonistic to Jim. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's it's a great point. I mean, it's it's great. Where I, I love it that he, um, he just, he's like, you think that Michael has more authority than me? And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, all right, I can't fire you, but I'm going to make your life a living fucking hell. Well, so the thing is, everybody assumes he can't fire. He doesn't even know if he can or cannot. I would assume so because of the co-part of his management title. Um, so just to be safe and not fire someone when he can't, to be embarrassing, he decides to give Ryan his very own special office, which happens to be the supply closet in between the two bathrooms. Uh, and you know what? If it had internet, I'd be like the happiest person in there. I love the yeah, I, I wouldn't mind the flushes and whatever weird poop plops you hear from both bathrooms and uh, you know well, that's why you put your headphones on. Sure, sure, that's uh, fair. So you know what we've we've kind of been doing this for a while, and maybe we'll go every week, but I think that two episodes is the best we can do. So. I mean, we really want to do more, but it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of it's a lot of time of our days. It's three, four hours a day on a Sunday, which is most people's getaway day. So uh, we're just going to call it here. Um, what would you give this uh, episode? You know what? I like it. I like it because it pulls him out of the office. Um, I think that Dwight is great when he's talking about like going finding crates of his shirts. I love it. Mm-hmm. I I, I yeah. really do like it. But all in all, I'll give it a four out of five. Uh, Oscar is kind of a bitch. I was I I see the rating, and I was wondering if you're going to go through with it, and you did, and I appreciate that about you, buddy. Um, you know what? I, I like the episode, too. I think uh, it is a nice look at the, you know, we, you can only tease Dunder Mifflin's kind of teetering off of a cliff for so long. Right. So here we are. They season six. Season six. <laughs> That's a yeah, yeah. big moment. So, so it's nice to see stuff come to fruition and see some of those real world effects of the, uh, you know, kind of where we've seen Dunder Mifflin travel. I'm also going to give it a four out of five town cars. Nice. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's a solid episode. It's got some of that that good old office 
humor, but it brings in some of the very real uh, real world well, it, work it's, stuff. It's what they've been teasing for six years. That yeah. people are going under. It started in season three with Jay, well, with them closing Stanford and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's sort of season six really does pull in some finality for a lot of Dunder Mifflin things. Yeah, that's what I like about this this season. All right, man. All right, so you can find me at at Jacob Ingles on Twitter. You can find us at www.brokenjars.xyz. Um, broken jar, no, not broken jars, patreon.com forward slash broken jars. You can find us if you want to give us some of your hard earned money. Yeah, we're uh, we're all over the place. Just uh, Google us and you'll find us. And uh, keep an eye out in the month of October for new episodes of Dangerous to Go Alone. We're going to uh, New York Comic Con next week, so our first episode will be covering that, and then we should be back for regularly scheduled uh, stuff. All right, cool. And that's it from us, so uh, thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you on the flippity-flip. Laters. Uh.